Well, I invite you to open the Bible and turn with me to the book of Leviticus. We will be studying the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. It's on page 88 if you got one of our Bibles here today. And as we began Leviticus, if you were here last week or if you missed it, we'll catch you up. But when the Exodus ended, they had built the tabernacle. And God had designed this, this tent. And there's kind of a courtyard area where there's an altar. And then there's a tent of meeting. And then within that tent, there's a, a holy place. And they saw the glory of the Lord fill the tabernacle. But then it said that Moses was not able to enter it. And so that created now kind of the narrative tension, like the, the, the problem that needs to be resolved. Like, okay, so Moses was able to go in and talk to God, but now we've got a tabernacle, and now Moses can't go in. And so God begins to instruct here in Leviticus, you're going to need two things. here. Now we've got this tabernacle set up. You're going to need the offerings, these animals that will be sacrificed for your atonement, which we looked at last week. We've been reading about in the first seven chapters. And then in chapter eight of Leviticus, he says, you're also going to need priests. And the priests are going to be Aaron and his sons from the tribe of Levi. This is where Leviticus gets its name from, is these priests. So these are the two things that are going to need to happen is... We're going to need to do these offerings with these animals. And then there's priests who will mediate, who will intercede between God and the holy place and the people as they come into the tabernacle. And the priests are going to help with these sacrifices. They're going to know what to do with each different offering. And they're going to know what to do with the blood of the animal and the body of the animal. And that's what these priests are going to be doing. And so in chapter 8 and chapter 9, it's the beginning of the Levitical priesthood. And they take all that God told the priests to do, and Moses makes sure the priests are doing all of it. They're anointed. They have these certain garments they need to wear. And then here in chapter 9, the priests do the first offerings in the tabernacle. And you can see here, if you'll pick it up with me here in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 10, verse 3 for our text. And as I'm reading this, I'm actually going to ask everyone to stand up out of respect for God's word. And we're going to give this our full and undivided attention. There are two real stories in Leviticus, and this is one of them. This is actually two events back to back. We're going to look at both of these events together here this morning. So I'm picking it up in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23. Please follow along as I read and, and let us see together the glory of God. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord 
and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. That's our reading of God's Word. Please go ahead and have your seat. And so you can see there's two moments here where the fire comes to consume. One of them an extremely positive thing for all the people in the nation of Israel. And then one of them, this tragic thing that happens there at the beginning of chapter 10. But go back to verse 23 with me and you'll see that the whole, the whole problem that's been addressed here in Leviticus about how can, how can we go into God's presence. So if you've got the uh, handout here, you're, you can see we've got two columns. We're going to go through these two events together. And this is now the resolution of chapters 1 to 9. The problem was, how do we enter God's presence? That's really the thing. How do uh, sinful people of Israel get to go into the presence of our holy God who is set apart? And we see here all the detailed instructions about the offerings and the priests. And when the priests begin to do those offerings, Moses and Aaron now, who's just been anointed as the high priest, it says here in verse 23, they went into the tent of meeting. This is like a climactic moment. This is exciting. When the glory of the Lord came upon the tabernacle at the end of Exodus, Moses was not able to go in. But now we've got these offerings we've got these priests and Moses and Aaron both go in to the presence of God what an amazing moment that must have been as the nation of Israel is gathered around and they watch them go in and they're able to go in and and I'm sure everybody was just now waiting with anticipation what was going to happen to them in there were they what were they going to say were they going to come back out were they going to be okay how long would they be in there and here they, here they come out. And when they come out, it says they bless the people. They bring a good message from the Lord, a blessing upon the people. And then it says the people get to see the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Wow. So not only are you excited because, hey, this situation where Moses was not able to enter, now he is entering. Not only are you blessed, but then you get to see the glory of the Lord. Now the word here for glory in the Hebrew language is a word that you should know. It's kavod. If you want to write that down, if you're taking notes, K-A-V-O-D is how we would write it out in English. In Hebrew, it's actually K-B-D is how it is, but you don't need to know Hebrew, just kavod. Everybody say it with me here. Kavod, all right? That's, you want to write down next to that, heavy or weighty. That's the idea behind that. If you saw the glory of the Lord, it would be this profound experience. And the people have seen the glory of the Lord in a cloud by day, in fire by night. They've seen the thunder and lightning and the smoke all around Mount Sinai. And now they have an appearance where they behold some kind of radiance or brilliance that represents the glory of the Lord and they get to see it. And not only that, from, from this glory of the Lord, fire comes out from before the Lord and it consumes the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. 
And so, I mean, first of all, that just must be shocking. You must be like, whoa, as you see this fire just coming and consuming. But then when you realize that the fire is consuming what is there on the altar, you realize that God is pleased with the sacrifice, that God is accepting the sacrifice there with the priests in the tabernacle. And this means that God is now right with His people. Their sin is atoned for. They're right in their relationship with the Lord. And you got to see the response of the people here. They shouted and fell on their faces. So here's what you need to see is that if you have a casual understanding of God, if you think you can just kind of cruise in and out of the presence of God, that is not the picture that God is giving us here in Leviticus. No, there should always be, as we approach God, there should be this idea that He is holy, that He is set apart, and that has a heaviness, that has a, a weightiness to it. And the people, when they have this experience of a, the glory appearing to them and the fire consuming uh, what's there on the altar, the people, they shout and they fall, it says, on their face. Now, falling on your face is actually very hard to do. Have you ever tried to fall on your face? It, it's really difficult. Like, I don't even know if I could do it. You know what I mean? And that's how hard it is, right? Now, I'm very good at falling. I just like to protect my face. I would imagine you do too, right? I often fall and I roll to the side when I'm falling. Do you know these techniques, right? I, I, I'm going to break my arms before I break my, my face. You know what I mean? And so I use my arms to break my fall. So the idea of people falling on their faces, like that should cause us to pause when we read that. That should cause us to really think about that. Like this is, a, this is an overwhelming experience that the people are having to see the glory of God, to see the consuming fire. And if you're taking notes, what the fire consumes is it consumed the sacrifice. That's what it consumed. That's super significant because that means, uh, hey, God is pleased with the sacrifice. Uh, that's, uh, God is right with us. And so there's this overwhelming response where they fall on their faces. They're not just bowing down in respect. They are hitting the ground, overwhelmed with awe at the glory of God. And when you read it here in English, you may not be able to fully get the meaning of what it's saying here in Hebrew. So as you and I seek to read the Bible, study the Bible, and correctly interpret the Scripture, one of the, one of the things that can really help us understand what Moses meant when he wrote this, what the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to say, is if you can get into the original language, if you have a way to do that. But when it says they shouted and fell on their faces, it's not like they were like, ah, and then they fell on their faces. That's not what it, that's not what it means here. Okay? If you were reading it in Hebrew, the word here for shouted is often used. You can look up where that same word is used in other passages of Scripture, and the word often has like a shout for joy idea. Like you're singing to the Lord is kind of the idea of this word. So we see here, it's not just like I'm freaking out and falling to the ground. No, it's overwhelming. It's profound. I have such a reverence and awe, and my response of worship is face down to the ground, but I'm also just like overjoyed. 
I'm overjoyed that God is dwelling among us. I'm overjoyed that I get to be one of His people. Like this shout is actually just like this burst of joy. See, when you encounter the glory of God, it's so profound, you're like overwhelmed and falling down and shouting for joy and bursting forth at the same time. That's what's going on with these people. I mean, it's beyond the range of normal human emotions here. I mean, we're experiencing the highest of highs and we're going lower than we've ever gone at the same exact time because this is the glory of God. He's here among us and it's just powerful. And the other thing that we can do, not only, what does that mean, shouted and fell on their faces? Well, not only can we look at it in the original language and study the words, but another great way to interpret Scripture is you look at another passage of Scripture to shed light on this Scripture. And so turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I need everybody to turn with me uh, to 2 Chronicles. So that's right, we're preaching Leviticus and 2 Chronicles here today, everybody. Look for where the pages are stuck together. Go that direction. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, page 363. If you got one of our Bibles. And the tabernacle is a, a tent that the people can take with them as God's going to lead them through the wilderness into the promised land. Eventually, though, the nation of Israel has a king named David. They have a capital city of Jerusalem, and David has an idea. Instead of God living in a tent, maybe God should live in a house. And so Solomon, David's son, builds God a temple. So it's the same idea of the tabernacle, just massive, just so much bigger, which is fitting because the nation of Israel by this time is so much bigger under King Solomon. This is a part of the United Kingdom of Israel. And so he builds this glorious temple there in Jerusalem. And this is the day of dedicating the temple. And he just offered this prayer to God on behalf of all the people of Israel that God would hear them when they pray toward the temple, that God would hear them from heaven. And then this is the response to his prayer that he prays. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So we see now this is a recurring experience that when the people of Israel had the place of worship and they dedicated it and they were ready with the sacrifices and the priests, God's glory came among them. It filled that place that He had told them to build, that they had done in obedience, and His fire came to consume the sacrifices. So we see a very similar moment just much later now in the history of Israel. And look what it says in verse 2. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord at this moment because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Just this overwhelming, uh, now the glory of the Lord is filling this massive structure of the temple. And when all the people, here's now, notice the response of the people again to seeing God's glory, the consuming fire with the sacrifices. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped. When it says your face is on the ground on the pavement that that line right there comes from the department of redundancy department you know what i'm talking about like do you get the point what it's trying to say is their face it was like down on the ground 
I mean, they, they went down when they saw the glory of God. I mean, there was just this sense of worship and awe and wonder. And there was such a weight, such a heaviness just in seeing the glory of God and His consuming fire that it was like the weight or the heaviness, the kavod of God was bringing them down to the ground. And yet at the same time, they're giving thanks to the Lord. And maybe here's now some content to that shout. They're giving thanks to the Lord, saying, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And they're, they're just bursting forth with praise. So it's like, I've got a song that I can't keep inside of me while I'm getting lower to the ground than I've ever been because of the weight of His glory. It is just a profound response that the people have to the glory of God. And here's really what we're trying to think about together as a church today. I'm not asking you, do you believe the glory of God in the Bible? I'm not even asking you, do you try to live for the glory of God right now in your life? I'm asking you, do you want to see the glory of God? Is that the end game for you? Is that the goal? Is that the climax that you're waiting for that's going to resolve all the tension in your life when you get to experience the presence of God? We see His glory now by faith. He opens the eyes of our heart through the Scripture, through His Spirit to see who He is by faith. But do you want that faith to be made sight? Do you want to have a moment like this where God dwells among His people and His people Behold His glory and the, the kind of response that is produced in His people is, is more profound than even anything else that we could experience? Is that a driving passion in your life that God is not just some idea, uh, some facts that I believe in that's out there, but God is someone that I know and I want to see Him for who He is in all of His splendor? Turn with me to Hebrews uh, the book of Hebrews, chapters 8, 9, and 10. And I, I want you to turn there with me because I'm inviting everybody to read uh, starting in Leviticus chapter 8. We're going to read this week, hopefully, Leviticus 8, 9, and 10 that establishes the Levitical priesthood and a parallel passage is Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. So it would be great for everybody to read Leviticus 8, 9, and 10, maybe a few times even to really get it, and then read Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 a few times to really get it. Because what the law says for the people of Israel at that time with Moses, the writer of Hebrews is applying to our time in Jesus Christ. And he says this in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, this is page 1005, if you got one of our books here, and he says, the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He's saying, hey, this isn't just old, out-of-date information. And that's what so many people have made the book of Leviticus to be in their mind. Is it something old? It's about these animal sacrifices, these priests, and we don't do them anymore, so I don't need to know about it. That's not what Hebrews is saying. Hebrews is saying, you have a high priest right now. Your high priest is in the tabernacle right now. Your high priest is right now in a place of majesty. 
at the right hand of the Father in heaven. You definitely need a priest. If you have bought into this idea that we can just walk in to the presence of God, no one gets to the Father if you don't go through Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? He's the high priest. And it says the high priest right now, he's in the tent of meeting. And look what it says here in verse 2. He is a minister in the holy place. So this was the whole point. God had his holy place, and the priests went back and forth interceding from the people to God. And it's saying, hey, we've got a high priest. He's in the holy place, ministering right now in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Hey, if you think the tabernacle is kind of this old thing and it's got all these kind of golden articles and they did all these sacrifices, but I don't need to know about that because that's in the past, that, that's behind us, well then this should be really eye-opening for you that the tabernacle is actually just a, a picture here on earth of God's presence in heaven. The tabernacle is not some old thing of the past. The tabernacle is a preview of coming attractions. It's a glimpse into the holy place of God that you and I want to get to where there's an altar before the throne in heaven. That's what the tabernacle's a glimpse of. It's not some old thing that's out of date. It's eternity. It's the future. It's the very presence of God and there's just a representation of it here on earth. But when we think about the tabernacle, we should be thinking about going into God's presence in heaven where we could behold His glory, experience His majesty. That's where Jesus is right now. You have a high priest in the tabernacle right now, and at any moment, He's going to come out of that tabernacle and you're going to get to see the glory of God. Is that something you're excited about? Is that something you think about? Go over to chapter 9, and look what it says here in chapter 9, verse 24. I encourage you to read all of this. Um, But look at what it says here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. It says, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So it's taken this picture that we just read about in Leviticus chapter 9, where the people are like, okay, well, Moses can't go into the tabernacle. How are we going to be right with God? And then they watch Moses and their new high priest Aaron, and they go in to meet with God. And that picture of the people all watching them go in there and waiting for them to come back out, and wondering what's going to happen when they come back out. That picture, the writer of Hebrews is now saying, hey, do you see that your high priest has entered into the holy place, and he's in the tabernacle right now? He's using the picture of Leviticus to help us as believers in Jesus think about where our high priest is in the holy place of God. And he says here in verse 25, nor was it, he's not just there to offer himself repeatedly, 
as the high priest enters the holy places year every year with blood not his own. That's what we looked at in the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. Once a year, the high priest goes in there to offer the sacrifice on behalf of all the people. Well, Jesus isn't in heaven right now offering sacrifices. Uh, if he had to continually offer sacrifices, verse 26, then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. See, Leviticus teaches us that for the people to be right with God, they needed a sacrifice to atone for their sin and they needed a priest to mediate between them and God. And Hebrews is telling you that you have a priest and he's in the presence of God right now and he is your once for all sacrifice so that you can have atonement and be right with God. Jesus is the fulfillment of Leviticus. When you read Leviticus, you're reading about Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And just look at this, verse 27. Look how it ends. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and then after we die comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because He already did that the first time. The second time, He's coming to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The high priest is coming to get the people of God and to bring them into the presence of God. And we're going to get to see the glory of God. Are you eagerly waiting for it? Are you ready for it? Do you live with a sense of inevitability that you are going to see the glory of God? How much do you think about that? How much of that is a, is a driving motivation? I mean, what a picture. Picture yourself as one of the Israelites. And we've just got all this offering instructions. We've just seen the priests anointed. The priests start doing the sacrifices. Moses and Aaron, they go into the tent of meeting. What's going to happen next? That's exactly where you and I are at. And, and what we saw happen was consuming fire, glory, people having profound responses of, of giving thanks and joy while at the same time heaviness and weightiness and going down to the ground. And we're in that same moment right now where our high priest is in the tabernacle and when he comes out, we're going to all get to be with him and we're going to experience the glory of God unveiled in his son, Jesus Christ. Point number one, you need to stay ready for his return. Stay ready for his return. I bet that's not where you thought Leviticus was going to take us, right? To the return of Jesus Christ. The high priest who is right now in the holy place and he is getting ready to come out and when he does, we will behold the glory of the Lord. We will see it with our eyes. It will be a profound experience of worship to know like the Israelites did that we are right with God through the sacrifice and through the priests, that because of Jesus, we are God's people and He is pleased with us. And to be able to experience His goodness, His steadfast love that endures forever, to behold His glory, that is your future. That is something that is going to happen in your life or after your life. That is something that you are going to experience 
the glory of God. And you need to, even as you sit here today, you need to make sure that you have trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus, that He is your high priest who intercedes for you, and that you are ready right now as you sit here. You are ready to behold the glory of the Lord. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? That's, we're supposed to be eagerly waiting for that. Our life is not building towards some next life stage of, of, being a, of being married or being a parent or having grandkids or retirement. That is not the end of life. The point of life is the glory of God. That's what we're supposed to be looking forward to and living for. That we want to experience His presence. And that's what these people get here. Problem resolved. God's there. People worshiping. Now go back to Hebrews because then, some, then something happens here. Uh, sorry, go back to Leviticus here because then something happens at the beginning of chapter 10 and it kind of ushers in a new problem rises up and it ushers in the, the new section. This, this glorious moment is not the beginning of eternity here in Leviticus like it will be for us when we get to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. No, this moment, this glorious moment here is followed by this tragic horrific moment and I don't know if you know these guys Nadab and Abihu Nadab and Abihu are the Ananias and Sapphira of the law they are people that stand as as sobering warnings as examples of the judgment of God when people don't set him apart as holy when they don't have a profound sense of weight from his glory and they don't interact with God in the right way. So let me just take a time out right here. And I just want to really invite everybody in this room. Will you please read Leviticus with us? I mean, I've been going to church my whole life and I've never seen a whole church come together and say, we're going to preach Leviticus. We've got a whole schedule. If you look on the back of your handout, you can see there we've got chapters to read every day this week. We've got a whole booklet that has devotionals that you can grab on your way out at the tables. You can even download the booklet from our website digitally. It's super easy. You could have it on your phone or your tablet or your computer in seconds. I mean, we're saying, hey, as a church, let's go read Leviticus together. Like this is an invitation for all of us. Hey, if you missed the first week, the first seven chapters, dive in with us at chapter eight. Let's get into the Levitical priesthood. We're going to kind of see where it's headed. I want to really encourage you. You, this is a chance. I've never, I've been going to church my whole life and I've never had a group of people say, let's all get into Leviticus. Like let it, let's just let it take over our church for a month, right? Anybody else first time you've ever seen something like that at church where like we're preaching on it, people are talking about it, people are meeting up at your local coffee shop talking about animal sacrifices, like what's going on around here? Talking about, well, all I see is Jesus in Leviticus. Somebody came up to me with this book in the hallway at church this week, and they're like, the gospel is exploding off of this thing, and it's got Leviticus on the cover, you know? People are like getting excited about the Word of God. And if you're not one of those people who's experiencing a revival from the Bible, just let it be known you have been invited to come with us. And man, we got we to gotta realize how hard our hearts have become when a book of Scripture gets ignored and made fun of in the church. This is our chance. 
This is our chance to really get to see what God is saying from the tabernacle, from his holy mountain, and to make sure that you really think about God the way that he wants you to, because Nadab and Abihu, they did not. And look what happened to them here in, in verse 1. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. So you got to understand, these guys have been anointed as priests. These guys are in the tabernacle. They've been helping with some of the things that happened here in chapter 9 leading up to the glorious moment uh, there that they experienced with God. And so when they see this consuming fire in the sacrifices, it seems like it sparks an idea in their thinking and they get these censers and they put fire maybe from the altar into the censers and they get this incense uh, going that creates some smoke here and they offer unauthorized fire before the Lord. And then here's a key phrase right here, which he had not commanded them. So they got their own idea when they maybe when they saw the consuming fire there on the altar, they got their own idea of some fire that they could offer up to the Lord. But God didn't tell them to do this. Everything else they do in these chapters, it's so clear. It's like over and over as the Lord commanded Moses or as Moses commanded because he got the word from the Lord, but it's so clear. It's making a contrast here. They did this and they were not commanded to and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. They did something that God did not tell them to do and they died because of it. So we've got two stories here of consuming fire. One, the fire consumes the sacrifice and God is right with His people and there's glory and praise. One, the fire consumes actually two people because they're not right with God. They're doing something that He did not command them. Now, that's so harsh for us today to think about if you disobey God, if you tried to go into his presence in an inappropriate way, that you would die. See, we have such a low view of God and such a high view of ourselves that it's shocking to us something like that would happen when really God is so high and lifted up and we are so unclean and sinful before him that we should see that's how it works. But people come up with all these theories about why, why Nadab and Abihu really died. Because just doing something that God didn't command, that seems a little severe in our perspective, a little harsh. And so people kind of start speculating, well, maybe they were drunk. And they get that from verse 8. Look at verse 8 where the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. So there's a commandment that you can't be drinking when you're going into the tabernacle. And so because that commands there later on in the chapter, after Nadab and Abihu are consumed by the fire, some people think, well, maybe that commands there because they were drinking when they offered this fire before the Lord. But it doesn't say that they were drinking. That's just a command that God gives to Aaron. That not, is not necessarily because that's what Nadab and Abihu... People are speculating. Turn over to, to Leviticus chapter 16. Turn over to the Day of Atonement, which is really the, the centerpiece of the book of Leviticus, where God gives instructions about Aaron going into the actual holy place behind the curtain in the tabernacle and one day a year offering sacrifices there on behalf of the whole people it's kind of a yearly renewal and cleansing of the tabernacle 
And notice here in verse 16, chapter 16, verse 1, excuse me, chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, and look when he did it, after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died, and the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And so, what you've got to realize is even though we read about Nadab and Abihu in chapter 10, what, well, still the instruction of chapter 16 is right after what happens to Nadab and Abihu. So even though to us there's like 11 through 15 in between these chapters, it's basically all one story. And so some people, they, they speculate, they wonder, they try to figure out, okay, is that what they did? Did they go inside the veil? And is that why God killed them? Because they went and offered this fire into the holy place? And is that why God is saying here to Aaron, hey, don't come into the holy place because you'll die? Is he saying that because that's what Nadab and Abihu did? Maybe, but again, it's not for sure. What is for sure, if you go back to chapter 10, verse 1, is they did something that God did not command them to do. And what you and I are going to have to learn as we continue to go through Leviticus is that commandments are not bad things. God gives us commandments for our good. Commandments are like the rails on the stairs of life and they keep you on the stairs so you don't fall off on either side. The commandments of God are meant to guide you and lead you to blessing, to flourishing, to live long, to prosper. That's what God wants for you. That's why He directs you. And when you go outside of what God says, you could die. That's the message of Scripture. Don't think you have a better idea about how to live your life or something better that you can do than what God tells you to do. God's telling you what to do because it's the best thing for you to do. So what's clear, you know, the reason that they died is they did something not commanded. And so they were consumed. And now we're into this whole new problem because even though they're consumed by fire and it kills them, it appears that their bodies are still there. And now we've got two unclean dead bodies in the tabernacle. And so this is now kind of an inciting incident to the whole new problem that's going to be addressed in Leviticus 10 to 16, which is how do we keep the tabernacle clean? And that's what we're going to start reading about this week. We're picking it up in chapter 8 about the priests. And then Nadab and Abihu, two of the priests, die. And they make the tabernacle unclean with their dead bodies. And so now there's going to be this whole teaching about what God considers clean and unclean and how nothing unclean can ever come into the presence of God. And you're going to get this perspective of God here in the holy place. And the way God sees it is He's surrounded by the uncleanliness of the people. And if these people are going to come up to Him, well, they better not be unclean when they're coming up to Him, the Holy God, in their presence. And so it's going to really make it clear to us that people like us need to respect God, need to set Him apart in our hearts, need to understand that He is not like us, and the only way we can approach Him is through the way that He tells us. 
And so you're going to read about a lot of things being clean or unclean, and it all comes from what happens here with Nadab and Abihu when they think they can come to God in a way that is not as he has commanded. And so that's going to, that's going to be our, our, our reading. Now, now, the goal of all of this, the goal of God having the priests offering these offerings See, Nadab and Abihu, they kind of lost the plot of what the point of this was. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 29. Everybody turn back to Exodus chapter 29. And, and there was instructions. What we're really seeing in Leviticus 8 and 9 is the carrying out of Exodus 28 and 29. And there's instructions here. Uh, there's a whole chapter about the priest's garments in Exodus 28, and we see the priests wearing those in Leviticus 8 and 9. But then the priests are supposed to be ordained, and there's anointing oil that the Spirit of God is upon them, and they've been set apart for this purpose that God has for these priests to intercede between Him and His people. God is clean, His people are unclean, and the priests are the ones uh, that are going in between here. And so there's this whole chapter about the consecration of the priests. And go to the end of it. Look at Exodus 29, verse 43. Here's the point of all of this. Okay? Here, here's what God was, was building up towards. It says, there I will meet with the people of Israel. So the priests are now in the tabernacle. They're doing the offerings. There, in that place, I will meet with the people of Israel. What we just read about at the end of chapter 9. And it shall be sanctified by my glory. This place that you guys are going to make, where the priests are going to be, it's going to be set apart from every other place in the camp of Israel because that's going to be the place where I am, where my glory is, my kavod. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, Aaron also, and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel. <clears throat> and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So when we're reading through all the details of the tabernacle and the priests, what is the point? Here's the point. Everybody's going to know who I am. That's the point of God. His glory will be made known. He is the Lord. That's, and, and now that you see, that was the purpose. Well, Nadab and Abihu, somewhere along the way, they lost that purpose. They started coming up with their own ideas. Now go back to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3, and look what God says when these two men die consumed by the fire. God restates here through Moses to Aaron his purpose the ultimate agenda of God and Moses now. Imagine you're Aaron. I mean, what an emotional roller coaster these chapters of Leviticus are for Aaron. You have just been anointed high priest. You have just gone into the tabernacle in the very presence of God. You have just blessed the people on behalf of God. You've seen the glory of God. The fire of God comes. The people are all... I mean, you're there watching everybody hit the floor with their face. I mean, what an amazing experience that must be. And then shortly after that, it seems here, Nadab and Abihu, two of your sons who are right there with you through this whole experience, they get their own idea and fire now comes out again and it consumes two of your sons. Wow! Wow! 
What overwhelming. And, and then look what God says through Moses to Aaron. This is what the Lord has said. Let's get back to why this has all been done. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron, when he hears that, he's not saying, God, why did you kill my son? He's not angry with God. He's not saying, why me? No, it says there, when Aaron heard again the purpose of God, he held his peace. God must, if you're going to approach Him, He must be set apart in your heart. God says, if people are going to come to me, they must know who I am and I am holy. I will be sanctified by those who approach me. And then He says, hey, if you want to approach me, you're going to know me as holy. You're going to set me apart. And before all the people, I will be glorified. This is what God is revealing to us through Leviticus. Everyone's going to experience the glory of God. Everyone is going to know His consuming fire. It's which way do you want to know the consuming fire? Do you want to see God's fire consuming the sacrifice and know that He's pleased with you? Or do you want the consuming fire to consume you? Because either way is glory. That's what God's saying. I guarantee you, at the end of your life, no matter how you live it, no matter what you do, God will be glorified. That's the end of the story. He promises it. As the waters cover the seas, so the glory of the Lord will one day not fill a tabernacle, not fill a temple. The glory of the Lord will fill the entire earth. Go, go to the pier. Take a good look out there. Look at that water covering the ocean. And that's how the glory of God is going to someday be on this planet that is the future is everyone will know the glory of God before all the people his kavod his weight his heaviness will be experienced by everyone this is who God is and he will get the glory the glory of God is a train that is charging down the track of history and it will arise at its destination and you can either get on board or you can get run over, but the glory of God will not be derailed by anybody. That's what he's saying. Turn with me now to Hebrews again, and let's see if, if Hebrews, maybe we've got a, a, an idea here in Hebrews that might even refer to this traumatic moment with Nadab and Abihu, with this story that must have been a warning throughout the people of Israel for generations. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, it gives kind of two possible responses to this whole concept that we're learning about, that God's in the tabernacle in the holy place, and Jesus is our high priest. And he, in, in Hebrews 10, it's been talking about this now for chapters here in Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 19. If you've believed in the sacrifice of Jesus, that He died for your sins that He rose again, that He's the sacrifice who brought you atonement and made you right with God. And you know Jesus is your high priest right now. He's in the holy place. Well, here's an encouragement to you as a Christian here today. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart 
heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You have a sacrifice. You have a priest. And the priest is saying to you, come behind the curtain. Come behind the veil. And you can draw near and experience the presence of God. You can have a relationship with God. Right now it's by faith. Someday it will be by sight. It says draw near to God, everybody. Go into His presence. If you draw near to God, what's He going to do? He promises. What's He going to do? He's coming to you. I mean, it's this amazing thing. Now, if you know Jesus as your sacrifice, if you know Jesus as your priest, now it says draw near. Now you can come. Now you're really seeing God as set apart and holy. You're really seeing what it costs to pay for your sin and that the high priest makes the way for you. And so now you can come because you've, you've seen Him sanctified and you've been set apart in Christ away from your sin to God and you see Him as holy for who He is. Come near to to him now but then it says this in chapter 26 there's another way that you can go if you don't want to draw near if you don't want to get washed and cleansed and and turn away from your sin and and turn to god well it says if we go on sinning deliberately maybe you've heard this line before hebrews 10 26 if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth what that is is hey i know there's a way of atonement I know I could be made right. I know I could be forgiven. I know there's a sacrifice. I know there's a priest. And I know there's a place that if I go there, a holy place, and I were to go there and confess my sins, I know I could be forgiven. I know the truth. The truth of the gospel revealed all the way from the law through the gospels to us here today. The way of Jesus Christ. I know the truth. But instead of going and getting my sin cleansed, no, I want to go and I want to keep on sinning. I'm deliberately now deciding that I'm going to keep on doing what the Lord has not commanded. I'm going to go and do my own thing. I know the truth. It's been revealed to me. It's been presented to me. I'm hearing it. But no, I'm not interested in being cleansed from my sins in Christ as my sacrifice and priest and coming to God. No, I'm interested in living my own life. Thank you very much. And doing the thing that I want to do. Well, it says if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the... Who does it say there? See, can you read that now without thinking about Nadab and Abihu? This isn't just some kind of rhetorical threat. This isn't even some warning about the judgment of hell in the end times. No, this is like a reference. Hey, remember what happens when people did something that God didn't command? Remember the fury of fire that came out and consumed those priests who were not acting in obedience with God, but acting and doing their own thing? See, what the fire consumes is it consumed the adversaries. If you want to get that down for our blank there. That everybody who doesn't live life God's way through His sacrifice, through His priest, but lives life their own way, yeah, there should be fear. There is judgment that is coming. And there will be fire that will consume. This is the message of God. This is who He is. And so point number two 
while you're, while you're writing there, is trust his sacrifice before it's too late. Trust his sacrifice before it's too late. I promise you, if you can hear my voice right now, if you can understand what I'm saying, every you, I'm talking to you right now, you will experience the glory of God someday. You're going to have a similar experience where there's going to be glory filling the place up and fire consuming, and you're going to be there in the presence of God in a holy place, the idea is. You're going to know Him for who He is, and it says that everybody's going to have this experience universally. The glory is going to be everywhere. It's going to fill the entire earth. It says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it says that those people will be in heaven confessing Jesus and giving God glory. People will be on earth confessing Jesus and giving God glory. And people will be under the earth in a place of fire confessing Jesus and giving God glory. The glory of the Lord is going to fill everything up and you're going to behold it. And my question for you, when you fall face down, is where are you going to be when you experience the glory of the Lord? Where are you going to be when you have this experience of Leviticus? Hebrews is not writing about the experience of Leviticus like it's an old experience. It's writing about it like it's going to be your experience. That your high priest is right now in the tabernacle and he's coming out. We don't know when, but he said he's coming soon. And right now, you can draw near, you could go to God, you could have all your sins forgiven, you could be cleansed, you could be right with Him because your high priest is interceding for you. There's going to come a day when those who go their own way and they reject Jesus Christ, they will be consumed as the adversaries. There will be no sacrifice left for them to believe in because they already rejected the sacrifice of Jesus. Today, I'm telling you, there's a sacrifice. There's a priest. And right now, you could go into the presence of God and be forgiven. Everybody's fallen face down. It's just a matter of where. So let me pray for us right now. Father, we, we thank you for this glimpse of your glorious presence revealed to us through your scripture in Leviticus and in Hebrews. And God, we just must confess that we don't have the right weight, the right sense of heaviness for your kavod. Father, that we take you more casually than we should. And God, please sanctify yourself in our hearts. Let us set you apart. Let us see who you are in your holiness and your cleanliness. And let us know we are not like you. And God, I pray for all my brothers and sisters that we will really read Leviticus and it will speak to us in a way we've never known before, that we have a sacrifice of atonement, that we have a priest who is in the holy place right now and we can draw near to you because of Jesus. And God, we look forward. We're eagerly waiting to see your glory. We can't wait to shout with joy as our faces hit the floor. Father, I just pray for those who don't trust in that sacrifice. They're rejecting it because they're hanging on to sin. God, I pray that they would know, even now, that they will fall face down while your glory shines all around. And that they they should come to you now while the sacrifice remains. While the high priest is in the tabernacle before it's too late. So, Father, please open our eyes to see your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.